Well, good morning, and let me add my welcome to that of Greg's. Uh, for those who haven't met me, my name is Mike, and I'm a member here at Redeemer. You may notice I'm not coming to you from the pub. Um, my family have uh, some vulnerability in the family to COVID. As a result, we have decided that for the time being, we're going to be a little bit more sheltered than maybe current restrictions and rules allow. Um, but it is a great reminder, I think, that uh, we are all uh, one church, one family, even if we can't be meeting in the same building. And it is wonderful to be able to participate and join with you this morning. Uh, we had also intended to film this at the Royal Oak. Well, in fact, we did. Uh, myself and Greg went to the Royal Oak and we, we filmed uh, the, the preaching in place just to try and make it as smooth and as familiar an experience as possible. Uh, unfortunately, whilst the recording went well, afterwards we found some sound problems. Um, and so as it is, you're getting me from my house here in Moss Side. Uh, but I really am glad to be here with you wherever you are um, and looking forward to looking at God's word with you this morning. So we looked at the passage in Judges 9 and I want you to first think about the idea of power. Now maybe you have been watching the news, maybe you've been avidly watching the news, uh, but equally maybe you have been staying away from the news. I, I honestly wouldn't blame you at this point. If you have been staying away from the news, you may have missed the fact that amongst the continual mentions of COVID, um, of the Black Lives Matter situation, of the American election, there has been another large news item going on in the US state of California. Since the middle of August, wildfires, huge wildfires, have been burning across the state. Um, so far, 4 million acres of land has been burned. That equates to around 4% of the land in California has been burned. It's included some of the largest fires in California's history, in fact, the largest fire, plus some others, uh, since records began. There has been massive destruction of property, destruction of na the natural world. Um, there has been injury, and sadly, there's been loss of life. Now, this is what happens when power at its most destructive is unleashed. I'm not gonna go into the reasons for these fires, that's not the point here. Uh, there are human conditions, there are natural conditions, but ultimately power is being unleashed. Destructive power is running amok. There is little people can do to stop it and it's causing tremendous pain and difficulty for those who are in the way of it. It turns out that when that power is in our hands, it's no better. If we look at the history of the 20th century and what we've got so far of the 21st, do we really see power being used any better than a wildfire burning across California. No, it turns out we look for power in the wrong places and we get burned up. But instead, we should be seeking and submitting ourselves to the only power that restores. And that's the line we're gonna talk about a few times today as we go through this passage in Judges 9. The story of Abimelech demonstrates how power can be wrongly gotten, how it grieves those who end up under it, We'll also look beyond this at another approach to power and see how in giving it up, we can find restoration. Now, because we always need some alliteration, we'll split this into three sections, getting power, grieving power, and giving up power. But first, before we start, let's have a bit of a history lesson. Now, you may be wondering where some of these places are, what these situations are that are happening in this story. Um, the town of Shechem, uh, or Shechem, for example, um, is a place that's not often referred to in the Bible. Shechem is an area in what is the modern day West Bank uh, in Israel. 
Um, and we also hear this name Jerobael. Jerobael. Um, for those of us who were here last week, uh, listened to Greg's sermon on Judges 8, this was another name given to the judge Gideon. So Jerobael, Gideon, same, same person. And what we heard again last week was that Jerobael, for all the good he did, was not a flawless individual. Uh, in fact, he had many wives, and this was not a practice that God actually condoned. Um, and as a result of his many wives, he had 70 sons, and I presume a, a host of daughters as well, that again, sadly, are omitted here. Um, and what we can see is that this transgression, this act of Jeroboam, for all that he'd done for God, has still resulted in great harm coming to people. Um, finally, we, uh, we saw that people are Israelites. Um, and that's important to remember. These people aren't some random clan somewhere. These are Israelites. These are the people of God. These are the people who God has taken from Egypt, through the desert, into the promised land. That's uh, so very important that we remember that as we go through today. Now, we also skipped some verses. Uh, we skipped some verses not because they're irrelevant. They're incredibly relevant, as is the whole Bible but just because they contain a lot of names, a lot of descriptions of actions people did, and they don't necessarily seek to advance the story uh, other than to sort of show you who's doing what. Um, but basically what happens in between where we stopped reading and we started reading again is that um, someone else rises up uh, in Shechem and guides the people to fight against Abimelech. And then we came back in at the point where Abimelech is essentially fighting back and, and taking his revenge on those people. Um, so feel free to read it. Um, you can read it now uh, whilst I'm talking. It's, it's not too many verses. Uh, or read it afterwards so you've got the whole picture. Um, but that's just kind of the, the interlink between those two, two blocks. Now, Abimelech follows a classic route to power in this passage. Convince people you deserve it, get violent people on your side, and kill anyone in your way. Great. He sees an opportunity for power but he's not alone in this. It's the people who put him there. You notice the people take money, they give him money. He can't hire these reckless scoundrels who do great violence without this money that the people give him. Well, why? Why are the people involved in this, in this plan of Abimelech's? It doesn't seem the best thought out. He plays to their fears. He plays to their fears. Do you want these people to rule you? Do you want these 70 sons of Jeroboam to rule you? Or do you want me? Because I'm related to you. My mother is from this town. And the thing is, no one had mentioned these 70 sons of Jeroboam ruling them. What did they imagine? It was going to be some kind of giant Gideon's son committee? But no, he simply played to the idea, do you want someone who's not like you ruling you? Or do you want one of your own? One of your own people? That appeal should be sort of familiar to some people. People were, were hoodwinked, they were, they were tricked, they were taken in by his pitch, but does that, does that spare them? See, if the people wanted a leader, well, they already had God. If they wanted the wisdom to choose the leader again, they had God. They could have asked God for help. They could have asked God, tell us who should lead us. That's what the people of Israel had done before. Tell us who should lead us, and God raises up a leader. But you'll notice that where they got the money from was the temple of Baal Berith. Now this is a temple to a god that the Canaanites, another group who were in the promised land at the time the Israelites entered, worshipped. You see, despite all God had done for them, despite the things God had done, despite saving them from slavery, bringing them through the desert, keeping them safe, 
providing food, providing them passage in and victory against the other occupants of the promised land, they rejected God. They were not going to go to God for wisdom. Instead, they wanted Abimelech to rule them. The philosopher Samuel Clark says this, a work begun under the name and influence of the devil is not likely to end to the glory of God or the welfare of man. This money was given from a temple to false gods, to idols, and the result was great death and suffering. We do have to ask the question though, is God just letting this all slide? Is he just letting them go about their business? But as is so often the case in Judges, God isn't sort of direct doing this thing right now. God is at work. And Jotham enters a story. We see in verse 7, Jotham hears about the, the great evil Abimelech's done, killing his brothers. And Jotham climbs up on top of a mountain, Mount Gerizim, a very important mountain to the Israelites. And he reads out this story about the olive tree and the vine and eventually the bramble and they're all offered kingship and the bramble gives this very weird answer the bramble says if you want me to rule you come rest with my shade now this is a little bit of a subtle dig already at Abimelech now, the brambles don't have shade I don't know if you've ever been out in a field and decided you want to shade shelter from the sun it's not common in Manchester but brambles do not offer very good shade and even if you did, they do offer shade, you'll probably get pricked on the way. And then he says this other phrase, let fire come out and consume the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon is a biblical metaphor for the people of Israel. And what Jotham's saying here is, if you choose the wrong person to be a leader, someone who has no qualifications for leadership, who is not going to be a good leader, you're going to get burned. God is warning us. God is warning the people here. He's warning us as well in this story, being in the Bible. Getting power for the wrong motivation is wrong. And in fact, not just wrong, not just harmful to others. It will destroy us as well. The fire is going to burn everything up. Fire is going to burn the people of Shechem and it's going to burn Abimelech. Now, this might seem a little bit overblown. Um, I'm hoping nobody listening to this has hired reckless scoundrels and killed 70 of their brothers. Um, or, or even one of them. I think that would be just as bad. But do we do this? Do we go after power and ultimately do wrong to get it? At work, do we betray our colleagues, throw them under the bus for the failure of something so that we get the promotion? In our marriages, those of us who are married, do we belittle our spouses? play on their insecurities so that ultimately they will be timid and ruled by us. In our social lives, do we make jokes about our friends, put them down so that we feel superior, so that we seem superior to the rest of the group? Or in church, would we speak about other people behind their backs, make others think less of them and again elevate our status by showing how great we are, how observant we notice all their sins? Scenes like this, scenes where people are scrabbling after power, should cause us to grieve. And as should any time when corrupt people ultimately gain power. 
So I was getting power. Brings on to my second point, grieving power. It's important to note here that the role of a leader doesn't make someone corrupt. There's that phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I don't doubt there's some truth in that. But in this case, Abimelech is corrupt from the start. Abimelech doesn't become king and then get all mean. He becomes king by tricking his people, hiring violent men and killing. It's not a good look. In fact, if I think of a history of political leaders, the ones who stand out most tend to be the ones who do the worst. In fact, that is so prevalent, I don't need to name an example. You're already thinking of someone or some event in history that proves my point. So what's it like being under this corrupt power? Well, the truth is we know. What we know about God and our leaders might well mean something on Sunday at church. Monday morning, though, it's a different story. We wake up and we hope that our government can save us. Or maybe we hope that the opposition party can save us. Or hope that our political cause can save us. Our social media contacts can save us. We look to everyone else and we are continually disappointed by what they do with the power they have. No matter what we thought of them at the start, we are continually disappointed. We've done exactly what the people of Shechem did. We've cut God out of the picture. We're okay, thanks. You did the bit. Now it's our turn. And as a result, we are grieving the power that hangs over us. And let us forget, this isn't always about other people having power either. All of us probably have parts of our lives where we already have some power. How do we use that power? Again, in your work, if, are you a manager? Do you manage people? Do you overwork them to make sure you meet your deadlines or your KPIs? Right? Just put in those extra hours. Come on, stop slacking. Do you encourage them to compete against one another? Well, honestly, Bob's numbers are really good and I don't want to talk about yours. In church, do we want to pull down our leaders? Criticise what they do, maybe in public, so that ultimately we look like we should be running the church. If we are a leader, are we putting people down? Are we saying that I'm a leader for a reason? I'm better than you, holier than you. I read my Bible more than you. Be like me. We don't want that kind of leader. And is the power we have really worth it? Because even if we're not trying to put other people down and do these terrible things, often the result of our power plays, the result of the grief we put other people through, is quite honestly just pathetic. I'm the one who chooses what type of biscuits we have at my church. I tell my wife what takeaway we're going to have on Fridays. My children will only watch three episodes of Hey Dougie, no more. Who are you parking outside my house? Who do you think you are? We, we abandon God in the pursuit of pathetic power. We cause grief, loss, broken relationships, also we can feel special for a few minutes. The final case in this grieving section, and I'm sorry if this is getting you down, but these are true things,
is when we don't have power, but we're grieved by those to whom we've given power. Well, in Judges 9, this happens between Abimelech and the people of Shechem. We see this um, in verse 23. God brings enmity between them. People grow to dislike their ruler and they start disobeying and causing trouble for Abimelech. Now, we don't see exactly why this enmity happens, but it tells us that God does this because he remembers the evil that Abimelech did. He's not going to let him stand. But we see the cycle just begin again. People are dissatisfied with the status quo. They throw their support behind someone else. Violence ensues. Does this surprise anyone? Corrupted people take power, corrupted people overthrow them, and violence just continues in a cycle. Why can't we get it right? Well, there's a point. Maybe we could get it right. We, the, the people in this church, the people in the pub, the people sat at home watching, us, a family, we could do it, couldn't we? We're smart, sensible, we've got good morals, we've learned how to share our toys. So, let's take power, right here today, from our base, in the pub, on our laptops, let's, let's take over. Things would go much better with us in charge, right? Before anyone calls the police, the UN, or my mum, I'm clearly joking. But it's, it's how we think. When I started university, uh, it was when Facebook had just come to the UK. It was still university students only. So everyone was jumping on Facebook. And the Facebook profile options were a bit more limited back then. So your, your main way of telling people what you thought, who, who you were to some extent, was joining groups. And there was a group that almost makes you laugh to think of it now, called Jeremy Clarkson should be the next prime minister. Jeremy Clarkson, a man who the comedian Stuart Lee described as having opinions in the times for money. Jeremy Clarkson, who ultimately was dismissed from the BBC for punching a producer in a row over some food. But at the time, this group had, I don't know, tens, hundreds, thousands, maybe millions of members. And these were generally students. This wasn't some sort of alt-right situation. People thought Jeremy Clarkson, because he was amusing on TV, he liked to drive fast cars, and so did they. They saw a vein of similarity between themselves and this persona Clarkson projected that said, oh, he should be, he tells it like it is. He tells it like it is. He should be in charge. We, we don't assess the character. We don't do any critical thinking. We, we go on this gut feeling and we, we hand power over and, and grief is the result. The mindset of this person should rule, that person should rule, does not end well for anyone in Judges 9. The people of Shechem are defeated. Abimelech takes revenge and burns the city. The people that flee have to go and hide. And ultimately Abimelech is killed. We look for power in the wrong places and we get burned up. How can we break this cycle? Instead, we should be seeking and submitting ourselves to the only power that restores. This has been a pretty negative story so far, but don't worry, there's a better ending. And my third point is giving up power. Power might now seem like a lost cause, 
Those who get it, get it wrongly. Those who give it, grieve the choices and their results. Can we trust any power? Are we better off hunkering down, get some snacks in and hope for the best? In the passage, the people know they need protection from Abimelech towards the end. They run off into a tower. But in Psalm 59, verse 16, David says, You are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. He's talking about God. Now, yes, God can shelter us literally from our enemies. God is also the one to go to when things are hard. When we don't know what to do. David knew it. The fortress the people of Shechem hid in was not safe. In fact, it got burned. God will not let you down. God can protect you. God just doesn't give us a way to shelter though. The Bible tells a story of another man who was offered power. And not just ruling over a town or a cluster of towns on the West Bank, but having authority and splendor over all kingdoms. And he refused. Instead, he lived a simple life. He had no home. He taught people, fed people, healed people. He wasn't just super humble or generous. He ultimately gave himself up to the authorities. They tortured and executed him, despite finding nothing to charge him with. At that point, he ended the cycle of violence ended the cycle of violence and death caused by the pursuit and struggle of a power. He rose to life and when he appeared to his followers, he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority given to me. I'm, I'm not being overly subtle. You may have guessed who I'm talking about Jesus. Through him, we can regain a right relationship with power. Jesus taught those who are first will be last. Those who are last will be first. He taught about how we get power wrong all through his ministry. And he also said this um, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. How often do we read these or hear these and think, Oh, it's good that he's nice to the meek. I like the meek. Whilst also thinking, well, we're glad that's not us. I don't want to, I don't want to be meek. Do we boast about how poor in spirit we are? Even our moral goodness doesn't put us where we need to be with power. We need to accept that we are poor in spirit. We fail, we mess up. It's a pretty regular occurrence. We need to mourn the bad things that happen, not just rush past mourning to rage against leaders, to hammer out threats and expletives on Facebook or Twitter and say we could do better. We need to be meek for real, not just for show. Ultimately, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, we are not. If Jesus is Lord of our lives, we are not. 
This can be a challenge. What we've talked about, how much we can do to get power. After all that work, why would we give it up? It might mean changing our priorities, changing our schedules, our lifestyle even, so that we can attend church, attend our Misha community meetings, meet up with our core group, study the Bible or pray in our own. It might mean giving up some of what we have, our, our money, our possessions, to support the ministry of the church, of other churches, of missionaries, of social justice causes in our area. It might mean changing our behaviour, the way we speak, the things we say, even the way we think, in order to honour the commands Jesus gave. That might mean a loss of respect from some people. That might mean people joke about us. Might mean people disagree with us. Might mean people hate us. But ultimately, it's God who has the power. We should be giving that to him. By submitting to Jesus, we accept that we can't control our lives. Something we already know, actually. When all these things we look to power, we can see we can't control our lives. But if we give it to Jesus, we know we can trust the one who does. We may not like how our politicians behave, but God works his plans out with or without them. We may disagree with our boss, but they're not the Lord of our lives. And we can argue with our spouse or our family or our friends it's God who safeguards and protects our relationships. Abimelech is so consumed with his image, he can't stand the fact that he's been killed by a woman. In his culture at the time, that would be seen as shameful. To be honest, I kind of think the fact he wanted to hide it was the really shameful thing. Nonetheless, Jesus died the most shameful death. And he did so willingly, and he did so for us. Ultimately, what we see in this story is the power is God's. Jotham told this story about the trees and what it would mean for the people. But after that, he ran away, he fled. But God didn't flee. God remembered what had happened. God remembered Jotham's curse on the people who were doing these terrible things. And he made it come true. Fire came from Abimelech and consumed Shechem. Fire came from Shechem and consumed Abimelech. We look for power in the wrong places. We get burned up. But instead, we should be seeking and submitting ourselves to the only power that restores. If you remember one thing from today, Remember that if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then we are not. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we have an opportunity to study this text. It's not one that we've often heard about or talked about. Um, it's, a, it's a challenging story, involves a lot of dark things, Lord. But Lord, we can exist in dark times. There can be darkness all around us, outside in the world, in our own personal lives. And Lord, what wonderful news it is to know that you shine light into dark places. 
that you expose the sins people do in secret, that you expose the evil that powerful people do, that you protect the weak, the poor in spirit, the meek. And Lord, ultimately we should count ourselves among those people. We are poor in spirit. Lord, we want your spirit to come to us and restore us. Lord, we want to submit ourselves to your power, power that will not consume us with fire, but will lift us up and restore us. Amen. Now we have some uh, questions at the end of our judges book. Um, if you don't have a judges book and you happen to be in the pub today, uh, pick one up. Uh, if you're not, drop some message on the online chat and we can get one to you. But the reflection questions we have are, are these ones and these are just to think about on your own. Uh, you can discuss them with your core group if you're in a core group and if you're not in a core group, again, um, message someone and that can be arranged um, or with your Mishra community. So firstly, how does using power for your own good and at the expense of others sabotage your own good? What does Jesus need to change in your life to free you to serve him and others more? And what might be a small step toward that change? Let's say these are great things to discuss, um, but even if you're not going to discuss them, think about them, pray through them, ask God to give you answers and direction to help with these questions.